This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Uh, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computers, uh, new technology, tech, uh, gadgets when we can get our hands on them. Uh, tonight in the studio, we have uh, the man who puts M in mainframe and the B in USB. It's Mark Bantic. <laughs> Good <laughs> nice. evening, Mark. Thanks, Warren. Good evening. And we're also joined by a global adventurer and soon-to-be uh, Asia correspondent, uh, Karen Flavel. How are you? <laughs> That's right. I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. Excellent. Um, I'll be with you too as well. Uh, I'm Warren Davies, and on the show tonight, uh, we'll be joined by uh, comedian and writer Rose Callahan to talk about uh, dating and and sex online and everything sort of um, battle of the sexes wise uh, in 2014, which is uh, is always interesting. Um, we'll also be joined by a technologist and a big brother to so many in the Australian startup community, uh, Nick Hodges, uh, to talk about. Uh, why digital products and services fail and, and why some um, do well uh, as well, which is always interesting. But um, first of all, as we usually do, take a look at what's making news in technology uh, here and around the world. Um, for those of us who like to watch a lot of stuff, which is pretty much all of us, um, some interesting news that Netflix uh, will actually be uh, launching officially uh, in March next year. Uh, they've announced today uh, or recently. Um, Interesting. Uh, do you guys have you guys tried Netflix? Do you have friends or, or family that do? Have uh, intra inter country friends that uh, swear by it really as a service. Mm. Uh, it's one of those. Uh, I guess for us, it's new to a certain extent. And if mm. you turn on any smart uh, tele uh, TVs or uh, Blu-ray players or something like that, or, or your or your home consoles or something like that, they've usually got a little icon down there saying Netflix. Um, mm. But uh, it's good to see, as you say, it rolling into the country uh, as a full-fledged service uh, very soon. It kind of feels late almost. It does. Yep. Well, it's, it's absolutely ubiquitous in the US, so mm. so that's right. But it's interesting, the background is that they started out by sending DVDs to people and people thought they were crazy, you know, like postage, adding the postage, all that delay. But what that did was just secure the market for sort of on-demand delivery. So when it was possible to start um, having the, the bandwidth to do the immediate downloads, they had market share. It would be interesting to see how it goes in this country because... I mean, that background that you just described is something that uh, other players in the local market have actually followed as well. If you think back to the days when, was it uh, Telstra used to f mail out DVDs on demand and things like that? And now, now all of those big players have similar conceptually uh, services that they offer to the, the streaming public. That's funny. I never really felt that Telstra owned the, the content market. Did you guys? Did you? No. No. It but just doesn't. It didn't kind of gel. It was just a big. They've just got the pipes. A behemoth, uh, yeah, part of pipes, the pipes and and part of that sort of uh, owning the portals um, through your your access. Mm, interesting. It's, it's interesting. Um, I had a bit of a dig around to see how many people are actually using it already, mm. and they're actually the second largest content subscription supplier in Australia already. Already, um, right. with over two hundred thousand uh, subscribers um, using uh, getting around the, the geo blocking of the service. So um, they've got twenty seven percent of the market according to life. Hacker uh, behind uh, Foxtel. Be Fox, yeah, Foxtel would be the only, pretty much the only other player, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. However, many other players are there in the subscription model service in Australia. Yeah. There's QuickFlix, which was kind oh, yeah. of like 
a Netflix ripoff, mm-hmm. um, and some of the other players are, are moving to. So there's been a bit of a. Uh, people knew that they were coming at some point, so they've been trying to do what they can. There's a um, a new player called Stan, uh, interesting name, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a joint venture between Nine Network and, and Fairfax. Um, Seven and Ten are, are also trying to um, sort of shore up a way to to sort of get their stuff out there, and it'd be interesting to see if it has an impact on, um, say, the on-demand services for SBS and, and ABC iView as well, which um, I, I, I get a lot out of those guys as well. I enjoy using I did um, read fantastic. Uh, Unreliable Source on Twitter saying that um, even though it's coming to Australia, there are a certain very popular shows that won't make up the stable of offerings in this country, such as Orange is the New Black and I forget the other one. But Yeah, well, they're actually blocking it if they have a deal with Foxtel and, right. and some of the other suppliers here already. So the interesting thing in the uh, announcement from Netflix was they were listing all these shows like, um, you know, um, you know Jack and Bob's Crazy Bath Time Adventures and stuff like that. And you're like, it's not the premium content that you're really announcing here. And obviously the 200,000 plus people who already use it are getting that content directly mm. from the US already. So their biggest competitor is Netflix, ironically, mm. um, in the US. So that's interesting. Um, one of the other interesting things um, in terms of, uh, I guess, um, tech fails and things going a, a little bit awry is the um, Rosetta landing and the um, fillet. Uh, I keep calling it fillet. I'm not even sure if that's right. Um, there was a. I actually didn't know this was happening until I stumbled across it on Twitter as well, and then I kind of caught the, the tail end of it. But um, I don't know. We, we, we like to talk about that kind of tech if we can, especially if they've got some interesting stuff on board. Mm. But it didn't go as smoothly as um, as they hoped. reported. Yeah. Yep. Do you guys kind of know some of the, the sort of comedy of errors that happened? Uh, well, when you think about it, it's a remarkable feat. We yeah. should set that as the boundary for the, the rest of the discussion. Mm. Um, landing a small spacecraft, uh, um, you know... It, so far, so distant away on a yeah. fast-moving comet is is pff, unbelievable in my mind. But then uh, I believe it bounced a couple of times, landed in the shadow of a of an overhang, which has kind of disrupted the solar power panels. Um, yeah. That's about all I know, to be yeah. honest, as far as things that have gone wrong. Yeah, it did. That's that's uh, effectively what happened. It, mm. it took seven hours to to sort of make its descent, the fillet from the from the Rosetta, and then the um, the harpoons. Uh, actually, the 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 mechanism that was designed to make it land softly didn't didn't work so it bounced a couple of times it bounced once for two hours went a kilometer back up in the air and then it bounced a second time right and people were asking going is it down is it down because everyone's just watching and then i think the researchers actually said it's stable right now but they didn't really know and then it landed somewhere where they weren't quite sure that they, they still kind of lost it and then the other one was aside from the landers was the harpoons um didn't fire mm-hmm. and then um because Presumably, it was in the um, in the shade there as well. The batteries failed really quickly, and there was a really cute little kind of Internet of Things type um, exchange between the t- um, um, the Twitter account for the um, for Philae Rosetta and a Twitter account from somewhere else, where they were just talking to each other. These two little bots, and it was like, oh, "I'm going to tell you heaps about what's going on," <laughs> and it just kind of died, um, which is a shame. Oh, but. Um, yeah, I think it's a remarkable achievement. Some of the some of the best stuff around that was the comparing the um, comet. So because it's hard to get a tangible sort of feel for how big it is and what actually and the physics of what was going on there. Mm. And they superimposed it over um, sort of um, uh, Central Park in New York and over San Francisco and so forth. Yeah, it's just kind of like a crazy big chicken nugget. It was like yes. a weird weird kind of shape and mm. um, remarkable science mm. in any case. Um, 
Speaking of content, as we were a little bit earlier, um, an interesting thing has happened at the University of New South Wales where they've taken the law into their own hands in terms of content downloading and they're now issuing fines of up to $1,000 and actually banning students uh, from, the, from the network for uh, up to a semester um, for apparently uh, downloading illegal content, um, as they've explained it. Yeah, the real shame with this is that, uh, you know, it makes the efforts of IINET to, to explain that them as the carrier shouldn't be responsible for what's passed along there, you know, um, what's what's used by the end user. So I, th- I think, you know, that's uh, that, that's the, the downside of it is that it, it, it actually is, is actually in support of, uh, of that kind of control. Well... I don't know. I, I think it's kind of good for IINET, isn't it? Isn't it taking that control? Like, it, it, Well, they don't want to have to have the responsibility of finding their customers, you know, mm. but the university, by doing this, is kind of um, showing that they would. But they're taking it away, and, they're and, taking and away, they're from, taking away from the ISP's perspective, which is mm. obviously the, the more, I guess, that's why the government, or well, not so much government, but certainly um, big business, uh, big media business is focused on the, the, the funnel that is the ISP for content. And it's been essentially moved back closer to the end user, I guess, hasn't it? The, the actual responsibility for um, tagging that... Uh, uh, that that meet that content and 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 enforcing it. It's a little bit like you know, um, you know, I go to work and I can't get to social media at work, and uh, you know, there's reasons why work does that. Um, of course, I bypass that, but <laughs> don't, don't don't tell work. But um, yeah, uh, I I actually think it's probably something in favour of IINET's argument in a way, in that they don't want to be the policeman, so go and get somebody else to be the policeman if you if you so deem it. It's kind of it's kind of like uh, the way the rest of the law operates, where in individual claimants and pursuants will will sort of go up against each other, mm. against a, an agreed, you know, and sort of say, "We feel you've stolen our thing. Um, we're going to take that to court and so forth." But the interesting thing is, they're they're actually not following due legal process yeah. and saying you've committed an offence. They're finding them, they're blocking them out of the network. And the interesting thing is, rather than uh, returning the funds or, or um, making restitution to the content providers, they're actually using it to improve campus facilities so they're building car parks and libraries and planting trees and so forth with the money they've taken off students it, it, so the content the, the the people who have supposedly lost out aren't actually seeing any benefit from this is it more a capacity thing is it what's the reason for why they're finding the students is it purely a, are they saying it's illegal or are they saying uh okay what you're doing is illegal but it's also putting a strain on our on our network it's a little bit unclear yeah but we we will check into that um mm. Other things that are unclear are the Ku Klux Klan and something's happened there. Uh, Karen, can you tell us a little bit more about what's been going on on Twitter with Ku Klux Klan? Yeah, this is a great story. Um, basically, um, the Ku Klux Klan, um, well, Anonymous, have taken over um, the Twitter feed for the Ku, Ku Klux Klan in, uh, as a bit of a protest to um, a court case that's happening um, in Southern America at the moment. Um, and it's just... I just think it's fantastic that uh, this sort of action can take place. So they've basically hacked into email accounts, etc., posted um, things like, you know, the, um, what websites they're going to be taking down and um, and that they are now, in fact, in control of the Twitter account. 
so there wasn't like a parody thing going on there where they sort of maybe eased up with a few tweets about how Obama's okay and, and some stuff like that before they let rip? They uh, just I went straight for that. I don't think so. <laughs> they could have had a bit of a, a, a bit of fun with it, couldn't they? Yeah, so serious these days, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, still good to see that there yeah. are... And if you want to um, actually find that there's a hashtag OPKKK, so OPKKK. Um, while we do mention uh, Obama, um, there's also some interesting stuff going on with the uh, Facebook activity for Obamacare, is that right? Yeah, this was also another interesting story, which I can now no longer flick my um, tab to. Let me let me just grab it. Uh, well, basically, um, what they found, they did a study um, from the Obamacare page, which is actually run by a non-profit um, now um, stemming out of his... Um, his uh, campaign around Obamacare. Um, and what they found, and I think just this is really interesting to understand, is that um, most of the comments came from a very small group of people. So sort of around 100 unique profiles doing <laughs> 300,000 comments, you know. Um, so it was just, you know, and so the, the, the sort of studied and figured out these people, and these people are also setting up multiple accounts and then posting from different accounts. So it, it really, um, it, it does pay to, to be able to filter and, and really interpret meaning, meaning from social media activity because it, it isn't uh, representative in that sort of um, even playing field. There's, there's quite a lot of tomfoolery going on <laughs> in the back end. <laughs> it it um, often happens around issues. There was uh, a great uh, analysis of the Gamergate thing where they looked at the age of accounts of people who were saying something about it. And a lot of people had actually set up an account just so they could do it, yep. just because they felt strongly about that. They'd never used Twitter before. And they actually visual visualised it. And you could actually see all the recent accounts siding over one side and all the older accounts. People had been around for a long time, sort of yep. over, over the other side. But um, also with... It um, uh, happens a lot in Australia with state elections and so forth and notoriously um, the Labor Party has been quite good at setting up Twitter accounts to sort of you know a attack the government of the day and, and to sort of get stuck in so um, maybe that's an interesting way to sort of make people more accountable where you almost have to have been around for a little while before you that's almost like um, recommendations or reviews yeah um, and the way you yeah, the way a, they feed those. There's actually a um, a site that a startup here in Melbourne called Your View, and he's he's designed it f um, to have that that exact capability, so that the comments and posts by people who have been recommended, reviewed, supported, mm. conversation, you know, the, the sort of the influencers, you know, um, but in a positive way, not the, you know. Um, not the crazy places people are in media today. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's actually how you'll see that those sort of comments rise to the top. So is, so is that a service that people can subscribe to to get more? It's kind of a discussion site. I haven't really okay. seen much activity. That so I think this is another million-dollar idea that we're putting out to the airwaves. No, 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 it's, it's, oh, it's in going. place. It's in yeah. place. It's been okay. used for a couple of... Um, it's, it's in the online discussion space around politics, so it's mm -hmm. called Your View, and I'm pretty sure they've linked it up to um, the previous election. They did a whole whole thing on it we might we might yeah. touch on the election um before then as well so mm -hmm. we might have a hunt um yep. and before you depart if you could let us know about that one sure that would do. be great uh one of the things that we have touched on occasionally uh on this show is um how we connect and how we find other people um with technology uh, so we decided to find someone who knows a little bit more about this uh rose callahan is a uh, melbourne comedian and writer uh, with an interest in tech and um uh an eye on on how we date and how yes. we find people uh, online Rose, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Not at all. So, um, what's 
what's your experience or what's your um, take on how we're connecting with people these days? Do you think um, technology has been a boon? Is it making things great and easier and better? Or are we sort of tying ourselves in knots trying to trying to get things done? Oh, it's good in as many ways as it's bad, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, the technology is making it easier to connect with people outside of your immediate social group. And I've been using um, online dating for about two and a half years. So... Whether that's a good thing or not, because I guess the idea with online dating is that you stop using it because you find somebody that you want to spend time with. Maybe they don't want you to. Maybe they just keep throwing well, better and better people at you. it's actually interesting because I use OkCupid a lot and a lot of people have blogged about this kind of thing of like they're not really – they don't really want you to stop using their website. Like it's in their interest for you to stay on their website for as long as possible, you know, whether you're a paid subscriber or whether you just – use it and they target advertising at you there are some people that believe that they really want you to stay on there for as long as possible but i mean i've been using okcupid a lot and i mean recently in the last year i guess tinder popped up and i feel like tinder really changed online dating because it's legitimized the thing for everyone because it was like a fun app that people would just use to see if people liked them and i mean i'm pretty sure everyone knows how tinder works no do you want to know can you explain to the elderly person in the room how things like that work well you just it's very superficial you literally just look at people's faces and go yes i would or no i wouldn't and they do that to you and if you both think that the other person's face looks nice, then you get connected with each other and you're allowed to talk. So it's kind of this fun thing and it's basically made like app-based dating huge and it's legitimised it for everyone else. And so due to that, there's been heaps of spin-off apps and they're all kind of based on the Tinder um, model. So basically Tinder uses your Facebook profile and it pulls up all of your interests and your friends and so that's the only stuff. You can see the person's face which comes from your Facebook photos. You can see what things that like interests you have in common and what friends that you have in common and that's like really it it's really simple do you think um do you think that's a good thing in that um like i've had a bit of a double with these occasionally yeah do you um <laughs> do you think double. it's good that you would do you think yeah I, I took a break from it just to do the show tonight yeah, yeah good. Um, <laughs> do you do you think it's a good thing that we're being introduced to people who are just like us and who live in the next suburb and like game of thrones and do you, has your experience been that yeah. um, the more stuff we have in common the better Definitely. it's going to be but i mean that's like not enough for me i like okay cupid because they there's this whole series of questions that you do and then it, it matches you based on an algorithm and if you go on the okcupid website they've got extensive blogs and they really like um they really drill down into the actual data of like the kind of photos that people go for even like the models of cameras that photos are taken on that people are attracted to what makes people look attractive what you know just all kinds of things in uh, their profiles like the kind of age range that like you know apparently 24 if for women is you know that's the age range oh. that is the most can common you, for men to go which is not great for me as a 32 so, year old so can, you <laughs> can you play the system can, can i work it well, so there, that, there so was actually end up with a supermodel a, millionaire well there was a woman called amy webb who wrote who did a ted talk about how i hacked online dating mm. and she did that by figuring out from the oh yeah i've seen exactly that yeah, what yeah, people yeah. want and then worked it <laughs> and she found her husband yeah. that way yeah exactly go. she okay. found it and <laughs> it was based on was it like 
Yeah, there's a whole bunch of factors. I can't really remember. It's very, very gripping and engaging. Mm. And there's another guy I read. He did a long blog about he basically, uh, like he did, he he used to script to like I don't know. He um so I, I read this one recently and yeah. we're having a bit of a chat about yeah, it today. Yeah. He um realized that he well he felt he was an interesting guy but he wasn't being introduced to the right people because mm. he was answering the wrong questions yes, on AKCupid. That's right. And he because those questions weren't being asked by his potential matches, he wasn't being introduced to them. So he went away and he wrote a few scripts and he scraped a lot of data on users um, before he started getting blocked, his bots, and then he, he came up with some more human ones and he, he basically found out that the people he was most likely to match with answered these questions. So he then went back and created multiple accounts, answered those questions again, and then all of a sudden it was like he was being opened up to like Monty Python's Holy Grail and he was up in the room up in the castle there with like, you know, a hundred great people from babes, LA. Yeah. Just babes. Well, there's certain questions that they say have a lot to do with whether you're going to match with somebody. Like, for example, one of the questions is, do you like scary movies? And apparently that's a really big indicator on whether you're going to match with somebody or not. Like, that's weird. But you say no to that one, Mike. Oh, I'm trying to work out where I stood. Well, no, no, yeah. there's no yeah. right or wrong answers. It's all about matching with somebody that you, you know, connect with. But um, it, yeah, it's a deal breaker for me. That's for sure. Mm, no scary, scary movies. Oh, yeah. No scary movies. No. no you get ma- match with a large man in Pennsylvania if you say yes to that one. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so like that's basically OkCupid's okay, been around for ten years. It's it was primarily like a desktop based um, online dating thing. But now you know they've got the app and they do have functionality that's similar to Tinder and that you, you like somebody and you like them and then it'll notify you. But essentially you can message anyone. But there's all these other ones that have um, popped up that are based on a similar um, thing to Tinder. Like one of them is called Cuddler. And it is for people who want cuddles. Uh, that sounds all right. It's not a sex thing. It's strictly cuddles. Oh, they There's a whole cuddle movement going on. You guys don't know about the cuddle no, parties? No, oh, what's yeah. that? Okay. Well, well you, you can kind of guess from the yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. cover that on another show. Yeah. <laughs> I just... I think it's more creepy to meet somebody for a cuddle than, like, for some rendezvous. Like, I just think that's so weird. But the the founders, they say it's like a welcome break from hookup culture while still making it easy to meet people near you and establish a physical connection. And so, basically, people – you can rate people on how good they hug. <sighs> and um Yeah, and, they, and it rates, like – it shows, like, who's within distance to you and if you accept the hug request. It's, like, it has to be within 15 minutes walking – Distance, so I guess if like you accept the hug request, you just hightail it, like you just start running. You can't be too sweaty. No, no, no you do the hug. And they suggest like you can meet in a park and hug, or you know, you know, whichever. I just. Uh, What's the small talk there? Like, should we hug now? Or it's so we weird. I just yeah. gave him a hug. Yeah. <laughs> I just no talk. Like and then you go the wrong side and then it's like. Do, do they, they define hold. the boundaries? Like, like like is a pat on the back considered a hug or yeah. like how, how deep? A I don't know. I, I guess it's like. Yeah, I guess you have to just roll with it. Well, that's Maybe, going a bit further than a What if the person, like, holds you for too long? True. Or what, what if they've got the, a mobile phone in their pocket? Yeah, exactly. And you're like, what's oh, going on here? Awkward. Questions. Awkward. Awkward. So is there, um, is, there more, is there more than sort of hookups and connections going on with these things? What, what, what do you think it means for, for how we connect with people and, and do, do we make friends out of it? Hmm. Do we, are we doing business through this? I mean, there's, there's a lot of brands trying to get into this as well. Yeah. They're, they're sort of setting up profiles for, you know, shampoos and stupid stuff. And oh, a friend of mine, this is 
my friend of mine uh, used Tinder to promote his comedy festival show mm-hmm. this year. It was like, if you're like, look at me, hey, this is my show. He got heaps of people coming oh. to his show. And then if it went well, he also, you know, hooked up with them after <laughs> as well. But, I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of – I've met – some friends definitely from okay cupid um yeah i don't think it's necessarily like uh, you know a lot of people sometimes they're like oh i'm coming into town i need something to do you know if you want to show me around that kind of thing it's just it's a different way of communicating and it doesn't just have to be hooking up um there's another one it's called thrinder and it's for threesomes, apparently. And so there could be cu- uh, couples or singles, or you could be like three different singles, and then you yeah. swipe. But I, my, it's not available for Android yet. So apologies to everyone out there. But um, my housemate, we were having a look at it a while ago, and I was just like, everyone in here is too good looking. Like, <laughs> I don't believe that this uh-huh. is well, a real thing uh, right now. Between between the four of us, if you were setting one of these up, you would just load it with a bunch of fake profiles, wouldn't you? With oh, exactly. Of, like, yeah. well, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start with zero. You've got to start with If thousand. you work at a startup and then it's just, like, everyone that works at the startup, like, just awkwardly... Who's going to put the first one up? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't know... How does that work? Mike's gone for it. He wants a hug. What yeah. if they get, over, what if they get um, over, you know, um, pay for special, special over after hours work that they're doing for the startup? And then, you know, you get like a premium <laughs> Seed, account? Seeding <laughs> oh. the community. Yeah. There's this other one that's like, um, that's, it's called, and people are actually using it. Um, I read about it a while ago and I've got it. It's called Happen and it's basically the idea, it's kind of almost like, you know, that sliding doors moment where you're like walking down the street and you're like, oh, that person's a babe, I mm. wonder, or, you know, or you're on the train with somebody. And so basically you look at the app and it shows people who have been in your vicinity, like on a quite a close scale, not like Tinder where, you know, you're trying to match with people within 10 kilometres. It's people that have been in your vicinity. And so, like, when I look at it, it says, like, you've crossed paths with this person seven times or something. And you also have to – you kind of – it uses Facebook again so you kind of can match with people. But I'm like – so it's cool if you're like, oh, there's that cute guy and whatever. But then at the same time, imagine the person that uses it, like, works in your building Mm. and catches the the lift with you or, you know, imagine you start chatting to them and then it turns out they live next door to you. Don't you? That's... So you'd have to have really sensitive privacy settings there. I I mean, but no, not really, because it's like that's the idea of the app. But, like, switch switch it off when you're within a block of your home. Switch it off when you're at work. Like but you that's want to the mask whole it. point of the app, so... Yeah. yeah. Good that's, point. Yeah, exactly. So it's weird. I found some I found some very niche ones, and I thought I'd run them past you oh, to yeah. see if you would... Would you join or not? So I, you can swipe left or right on these ones. I might have heard about these, because I've done extensive research. Okay. You might have a few stories. Uh, would you join uh, Pounced? Oh, uh, what's... Pounced. Pounced is for... There's a few people in suits here. Pounced is for fairies, oh, which I can sort of speculate okay. as to what that is. Um, yeah, I was I'm hoping it was that. like borrow someone's cat to hang out with for a day or something. But no, no, that's no. that's personals where it's people with cats. Okay. Like today. Oh, wow, you've done a lot of research. Personals. No, I've just got a tab open here. Okay. Um, <laughs> Hoovian, Hoovian, Hoovian love for, oh. for, for Trekkies. Okay, yeah, I have heard of that, yeah. Um, that could be kind of I okay. I am not... Um, 
one of those people. So, but you know, I don't judge. I don't judge. You know, it's 2014. Like people can do pretty much anything what they want. You know. Yeah. Um, Date vampires. Um, If you follow sort of court news in Melbourne, you know how that went recently. Mm. It hasn't been such a great thing for dating vampires. But um, I mean, where where would you like to see these things go? What what do you think the potential is for for these types of services? Like you, you mentioned, you'd sort of had a look at them for for sort of a couple of years. You know, would you like to keep using them on and off occasionally? Yeah, Do you think yeah, it definitely. Kind of helps your life? I think that the smart startups are the ones who are looking at like what the market needs, what what the problems are at the moment with dating apps. Like for example, me, you know, it's like I use OkCupid, anyone can message me, and I've had some really, really weird guys on there, like just really weird. And they've got some like for example, there's one that got launched I think yesterday and it's called the grade. Mm. And basically, um, the men get graded on, like, if they send, like... If they can't spell properly, like, how quickly they reply to messages and also if they send, like, inappropriate messages. Mm. And you get graded from A to whatever. And if you drop lower than a D or if you're an F, then you you're get... Out. You're out of the website. That's a good filtering thing, yeah. isn't it? That's like those guys on By Felipe who just can't spell oh, yeah, anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. By Felipe is a blog that um, has uh, screenshots from... Is it just Tinder? Um, yeah, and kind of wherever people yeah, chat. Yeah, yeah. And it usually is a guy going, hey, do you want to come on a date? And she's like, oh, no, sorry. Like, I'm not really interested. And then he just goes, yeah, well, you're fat anyway. And it's just horrible. And then he comes back with, hey, pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for example, that me and there's – on OKCupid, there's this guy. He just set up all these different accounts. I don't know how his IP address didn't get blocked, but basically he offered me money. And several, I put it on my, I screenshotted it and put it on Facebook and a whole bunch of people were like, I know that guy, he did the same thing to me. So that's like not really ideal. I think at the moment it's like there's such a problem with just creeps, just so many creeps. Another another app came out and it's called Antidate and it's weird in that it uses, instead of using Facebook um, uh, login, it uses Instagram. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but basically women have to request, they have to like the guy, so they have to approach the guy before he can send them a message. So it um you know the the appeal is that like women aren't getting influx with weird messages and guys don't have to do the approach like well tinder's the same i mean yeah. you know you can't get any communication well, until yeah. you're both liked could we talk about um business models there because you did talk about the startup industry and yeah. people behind it and what's your take on how these um these dating sites are going to make money. I mean, obviously, OKC's got um, premium. Yeah. Isn't Tinder releasing some extra features for... You know, premium service. We did, we did mention that a few weeks ago. They've got a uh, like extra features where you can you, you pay a few dollars more and yeah. yeah. But so I just think that Tinder is such a basic um, service or model in itself that I wonder like what more you could really add. Like when I use OkCupid, I have used premium and I have paid for a list before, and basically because what they do is like they give you 300 messages or something yeah and if you're a girl and you're on it for long enough it just it actually fills up like you have to delete oh messages. yeah i know i accidentally yeah. paid for mail thing rather than delete because i just can't be able to yeah delete, and then I, I just went oh whatever that's it gives fine. you like five thousand <laughs> yeah. and i'm like okay fine i will do that and there's 
there's like quite a lot of functionality that you can have access to and I have actually paid for it which I didn't think I would Tinder I mean yeah I don't know like it's when you it's one of the features was if you're going to be in Sydney for the Sydney Comedy Festival yeah. you can get access to the Sydney pool not just the Melbourne you know pool. but that works mm. like that anyway Huh. If you go to a new city, you just... Oh, yeah, no, before you, have to, before you yeah. go. No, so you can access Sydney oh, okay. two, two months before, say, hey, I'm going to be doing yeah. my show. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean... Sydney's all right. And like, okay, they work out in Sydney. Show. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. No, but it's intimidating. You go down to Bondi Beach and they're like, really, like, it's really buff and start, start early. Yeah, 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 start early. Well, I don't know. I just wonder, like, what, what is the model that's going to work? I mean, people don't like to pay for extra, so otherwise it's just like, oh, I guess they just sell all of our data. No, I just wondered whether you had any insight about who, who's been surviving on I mean, the, you know, the, the Thrinder is not the only one to have... There was a another threesome one, um, three under. Oh, OK. And that went... Under. Under. <laughs> well, that went backside up. That one did. I mean, they, uh, they drop off all the time. Because I mean, have to be some. You know, there's this one, show. the grade that I just spoke about. There was another one called Lulu that I heard about mm-hmm. a while ago, and it was basically like it's pretty brutal. It's basically like Yelp but for dudes. So like, oh, yeah. so oh. like you go to the profile and you're like, that guy is such yeah. a jerk. He smells. Yeah. He made me go and see a movie that I hated. He broke up with me via text or like you know your female friends can go and vouch for you and say he's a really nice guy that kind of thing but it's gone now like it yeah. was that was a year ago I remember that it one. was around and now it's done i was kind of i was like that's bad i want to look yeah, at I it i want to use that one <laughs> so for the people out there who are uh, who are thinking about it or, or think this sounds like all very kind of uh, uh, uh painful and tricky what, what would your sort of advice for people who are thinking about doing it and haven't done it i would say I really do think that OkCupid is a good way to go. It is – it's less – I think – That's that, the free one? Uh, yeah, it's it's basically like um, – it's a desktop. You can just use it on your computer. It's mm-hmm. not like an, an app-based one. It's been around for 10 years now. Okay. And there's just a lot of functionality. So that's the one you fill out. You have to put a lot more effort into it. You have to fill out – Heaps and heaps of questions, heaps of them. Mm. But once you've done that, and you can fill out your full profile, mm-hmm. and and I think um, I think it just works better because you can actually see what kind of people like you get a percentage match. And I think it's like if you really want something, mm. that's a good way to go. Tinder, okay, Tinder. I'm going to say the people are hotter on average on Tinder, (laughs) I think. So if you just want to be superficial and have a night of fun, maybe Tinder's the way to go. If you want something lasting, you know, then maybe OkCupid is the way to go. We'll uh, we'll keep you in touch with the show because uh, as as these things do change, we do need to keep across okay. it. Okay, so, that'd and, be great. And if even if you have a great hookup, just stay with it. All right, because we need somebody embedded. <laughs> well, I I do publish a lot of um, so I'm not allowed to get into a relationship yeah. now. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <sighs> permanently single. Okay, great. Well, I do publish a lot of my dating disasters just on on my Twitter. So if you want to follow me on Twitter at Operation Rosie Operation underscore R O S I E. That would be great. We'll get people to do that. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, Thank you. One of the things that we do often chat about here uh, on Bite Into It is uh, why some products fly and services fly and why some crash um, in a mysterious mess. 
Um, so we thought we'd have a, a little bit more of a closer look at it. Um, Nick Hodges is a, uh, dare I say, it, a technologist, um, Melbourne startup mentor, uh, and founder of uh, Swarm Deck and Blonde Three, which he's keeping mum about for now. Um, he likes to talk about tech. Um, Nick, thanks for coming in tonight. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad we could get you in before Christmas. Just, just. just. I only came because you gave me a free free mug of vodka. It, it looks pretty good. That's probably one of the better mugs here at Triple R. No, it is nice. It is. Um, Not very visual though. No. It's <laughs> Kind of, no, it's kind of it's kind of a nice kind of baby blue. Um, so uh, we, we've spoken about this from time to time, and, and you sort of know a little bit about um, uh, about why uh, a good product can break through or, or fail, and, and why bad products even get up as well. What what's important in in terms of circumstances for a, a product to succeed when it gets out there? And we're talking about digital products here, obviously. Yeah, I mean, good question, and you know, I've I spent sort of the last ten years working with mostly brands and and marketing and that sort of thing. And from the technology angle, it's always been interesting working with brands because, you know, a, a product really succeeds or fails in the real world uh, only when when users, when when real people decide whether they want that thing or not. And Brandland can be quite abstract as well. Brandland can be quite abstract, and some of the products are just you know complete rubbish, and you just wonder why they're making a different dog food. Uh, and and then you know when you hit the technology world, the space that we're at now, and you know you're sort of talking about things like Google Glass, uh, wearables like Fitbit and Jawbone, which I think 50% of the uh, studio here is wearing Jawbone, <laughs> um, and you know other these activity trackers, Apple Watch is about to come out. We're moving in a technology sense away from just software and just experiences on screens and essentially, you know, websites. And suddenly these technology companies are starting to have to create products that, that get accepted in the real world, that solve real world problems. And increasingly, you know, as an observer, it's uh, they're finding that, that, that a lot more tricky than just wheeling out another sort of technology innovation. You sort of, you know, they wheel out Google Glass and a whole lot of people are like, well, that's just segue for your face, isn't it? We, we're not really interested in, in, in that problem. Yes, it's really interesting in high-tech technology and nerds really nerd out at how they did it and what got built, but you then have you know most of the rest of the population walking around going definitely don't want that thing so that's that's an interesting point of view how do you um how do you know whether something is likely to sort of get mass adoption what are, what are some of the criteria and and if you're sitting there looking at something like on a you know uh, a pitch night where sort of some people said this would be a great idea for a pet thing or a you know a ride thing or, or whatever we're going to disrupt the you know the taxi market or whatever wh- what criteria do you have in your head about whether it's going to work or not yeah, well, I mean, the, the the simplest criteria is always, is this solving a real problem that real people in the real world actually have? And have you actually gone out and proven that that's a problem that exists in the first place? And, you know, so especially when I'm working with startups and early stage startups, that is always the the first thing that you ask it's have you gone out and spoken with people have you spoken with people that aren't nerds uh, about this problem because you know there's a hell of a lot of technology that gets created in the world uh, simply because nerds have the skill set and the tools to be able to solve these problems they solve their own problems which is I guess sort yeah. of funny given we were just talking about dating apps it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little counterintuitive to something like what Apple have done in the past, which is, say, bring out a product and say, this is what you want. This is, you know, you don't actually know what you need this for yet. So even things like iPads and so forth, when probably when they were first launched, people went, wow, that's cool, but... 
How what am I going to use it, it yeah. for? Yeah, and then it turns out it actually, you know, does permeate into society. It does, and there's, you know, there's a lot of mythology around, you know, the Steve Jobs attitude of, you know, I will build stuff that people don't even realise they want. Um, that and Apple have been really good at that. Uh, they haven't. They haven't had user testing and really deep understanding of their users absent from the product development process at all. Um, and, and to be honest, they they are actually extremely good at that process of, of sort of understanding what to build. Well, it's, uh, it's easy to do that when you're backed by, you know, billions of dollars of capital and so yeah. forth, but it's a different field that you're coming from. Yeah, exactly, yeah. When, you, when you've got enough money to throw at the wall, um, you know, something's definitely going to stick. And, you know, there is that. And it's an attitude that still permeates a lot of technology and startups today, <coughs> which is that old, very old-school attitude um, of, of the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Uh, and, you know, that gets thrown around a lot. And... You know, that came from Alan Kay, who was at Xerox Park in the late 60s and early 70s. And these guys were... That attitude came out of creating, you know, the desktop and the mouse. And these guys were trying to create something that would allow normal people to interface with a computer, which is a very different problem to, you know, coming up with an iPad or, a, you know, Google Glass. You could definitely apply the attitude of, well, if we invent this thing, then, then people will want it. And, and they did. And, you know, we came up with the term glass hole. I think an, another um, um, term that we hear a lot is also skate to where the park is going. And so, you know, by having that foresight as an early adopter, as someone that does look at trends, you know, that um, sort of recognises the sort of trends that Ray Kurzweil is mapping out and, you know, and sort of says what, what really could be the future of 3D printing, of Oculus Rift and all of that. But one of the challenges is that how do you survive until you're able to get your idea off the ground? What, what are the, the, your top tips for having um, startup founders maintain their idea and progress it forward while still being able to eat more than two-minute noodles? Because that's just horrible. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, uh, one solution to that is a phenomenal amount of venture capital funding. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you look at even the success stories that we see today, you know, even uh, I was talking earlier today um, about Spotify and the fact that, you know, they're, they're still not a, a profitable company. Um, and, you know, in order for these guys, Amazon, you know, as well, loses phenomenal amounts of money. Uh, so we have a lot of people who are willing to invest a lot of risk capital um, that they are willing to lose for what's, what's uh, assumed to be a huge upside. But that what that does make, A, it creates an illusion at the other end, at the, at the, at the very early stage end, um, you know, with punters and kids coming out of university with these great ideas that, that it is easy and that access to capital is easy. Uh, and the result of that is quite often, you know, what, what we see in the, in the sort of startup world is people thinking that creating the technology and building the technology is the answer. Uh, when actually, you know, the first thing that we do is we go all the way back and go, well, you don't need to build a thing. You know, when you, when you go through a startup accelerator or a lot of the sort of startup leadership programs, the first thing you learn is that you're not going to write a line of code for months. Mm. Uh, you're going to go and talk to 100 people who have the problem that you're solving and you're going to understand the problem. And throughout that process, the way you're going to solve the problem will, will, will change at least five or six times. Um, and that's where we get that fairly cringeworthy term pivot but you know that that is what happens someone walks through a door saying hey i want to build a you know an app for cats and they go and talk to 100 customers and they end up building an app for people who have cats to date so it's interesting in that um so um startup weekend melbourne is is on this weekend this weekend yeah which is i think which still is tickets fun. still tickets available get um there. get down there 
do, do you find that um, those types of events or, or even startups more generally attract a, a fairly um, homogenous skill set, people who can develop and people who've got interesting product ideas, but do, do you feel you have to have uh, maybe some life experience or a bit of business experience um, that makes it easier to, to have a successful sort of early business? Um, yeah, look, in terms of... Well, f- firstly, in terms of the audience that we are getting then we are starting to see come through the sort of startup ecosystem something like startup weekend which has been going for quite a few years now you know i think the first startup weekend that i was at it was just it was a lot of dudes and they were developers and then there are a few people who had sort of ideas and couldn't code and and now what we see uh, at a startup weekend is you get this broad spectrum of business people of marketing people of designers of coders and you know with services like you know AWS and you know nerdy code packages like you mm. know, node and backbone you don't need all the heavy code lifting so we're starting to see a broader uh, spectrum of people that are coming into the community and then actually really giving it a crack. Uh, in terms of the skill set that you need and probably the life experience part one of the more interesting areas, uh, you know, there, there, there's this growing, I, I guess, sort of thought that perhaps people need to get out and understand the world a little bit more before they jump in uh, over the last few years, especially over in the US. You know, there's been this real trend of, you know, don't even go to college, just go and start your mm. startup. And uh, I think it was... Paul Graham recently, who founded uh, Y Combinator, uh, did a did a talk, and in that talk, he he sort of said, "That's a terrible idea. Do not do not give up those early, you know." Don't so go and learn how to think like everybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like you know, actually, no, you have to get out there. You have to live in the real world. How can you possibly solve problems if you've never oh, yeah. if you've never lived in in a world with problems? Sure. Uh, if you just you know finish school and move to Silicon Valley and yeah. you know, build dating apps. Interesting. Um, so, do you do you, do you think there's any um, any way that you can sort of guard against um, something going terribly wrong? Is that if you if you if you've done your due diligence and you've done your research and you've actually found a, a pain point or, or something like that, is 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 that sort of some measure that someone's going to do something in that space? If if it's not you, then someone is going to fill that and and create a, a way to deliver you know groceries to. Stock, stock workers or something like that like is, is yeah mean, look if if, if if you've go if you've gone out and if you've talked to a bunch of customers if you've really deeply understood a problem if you've come up with some really innovative ways to solve that problem uh, and you have a really great team that are really passionate uh, you still have an extremely small chance of long-term success <laughs> uh, it, it, it's still and there is still no um, there's still no real way. There's still no way we can look at people and we can look at startups and we can use data to understand who's going to succeed. Because if we could, you know, there's a lot of money in being able to answer that question. And if we could answer that question, then you'd have a bunch of venture capitalist firms that are looking into the big data of it all to uh, to work out what ideas are going to succeed. So yeah, it's it's definitely hard. I think one of the the things that that surprises me with the with the startup scene is that. It is so sensationalised. It's like the big movie industry, and if you're going to make a startup, it's got to get to Silicon Valley, and that sort of disregards that actually there's some great kind of mum and pop style um, startups that just look after their customers and just grow steadily and become like even something like Survey Monkey, grew totally organically. You know, they they got some investment later, but it was much later, um, and you know, I, I, I guess how would you 
you know, compare those two different pathways, you know, of going down just the raiser capital, be the biggest boy on ta- in town, because it generally is the boys. I get, go to a lot of Starbucks and beds, there's not many women. Yeah, um, or to be just a steady growing business that is um, bootstrapped and revenue financed. Yeah, there's... Uh a lot of attention gets given to the extremely high growth, extremely capital intensive uh, startups, and you know there's there's sort of almost this cult of the lean startup and and mm. things like that, and and this idea that you have to you know especially in Australia that there's a there's a real uh, sort of movement around oh you have to start global. You know, if you've got an idea, you have to start being global. Don't start being local um, because it's not, you know, it's not cool to just think local. You actually have to go out and take over the world. Uh, and the the people that are out there creating really good, really successful startups uh, locally aren't as vocal. And at the, in the same way, the, the, the people who just go out and bootstrap and don't feel the need to raise, you know, three, four million dollar Series A funding, they're not as vocal either. And the reason is it's because they're sitting at their desk chipping away, building really successful businesses. Um, so, you know, I, I think there is a, a really good reason to start a startup that's only trying to sort of tackle the Australian market. There's a few, you know, startups that I work with that, that, that you know, really they're happy to just nail the Australian market. There's also some examples of phenomenal success of people who never started trying to be global. If you look at REA, if you look at car sales, um, mm. you know, these are massive now, you know, public companies that, uh, that that never really ever wanted to crack out of the Australian market. So, mm. yeah, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable to just want to, you know, build still. If it's going to be a startup, reasonably, it should be sort of high growth and otherwise get, it's a small business. Get some revenue. If, uh, if you are interested in this and uh, if you do think you have a good idea, um, we'll put some links up after the show, uh, probably on our Facebook page for now, um, for Melbourne Startup Weekend. Um, another one that we did want to mention just quickly is Yao uh, Melbourne Developer Conference, um, which is on again. It's um, it's quite large. Tickets aren't cheap, so try and get your employer to pay for that one if you can. The early bird's gone. It's about about 1000 bucks, or $9.95 uh, if you can get on down there. But they've got some great speakers from uh, Google, Facebook, um, some of the familiar names in uh, agile thinking from uh, here and overseas. Uh, topics like uh, Rise of the Machines, a primer to machine learning and predictive analytics using Azure, um, the Odyssey from uh, monoliths to microservices at uh, REA, as you just mentioned. Um, so that looks pretty rad. We'll put some links up uh, after the show. You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.